Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. Hey friends, looking for some great business content other than right here on Accelerate? Then check out C-Suite TV and watch in-depth interviews with business content for C-Suite leaders and entrepreneurs, including an interview with me, your favorite podcast host. And it's all on demand. Watch and get insider secrets on demand by going to csuitetv.com. That's c-suitetv.com. Business insights on demand. Okay, let's do the show. It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 451 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Now, did you know that studies have found the cost of a bad sales hire is four to seven times the annual salary of the position? I mean, if you're a sales leader, you can't afford this. Nobody can. Now, I've created a guide to help you develop a process to hire the right sales candidates for your company. It's called the How to Hire a Winning Sales Team, the Sales Leader's Five-Step Guide to Better Sales Hiring, and it's free. Just go to accelerate.fm forward slash winning to download your free copy today. Joining me on the show today is Sharon Gillenwater. Sharon is founder of Boardroom Insiders, and she's a CXO engagement strategy expert. In our conversation today, we talk about why Sharon believes B2B selling at the enterprise level is harder than it's ever been before. And she talks about why sales organizations must change just not how they do things, but their very philosophy around sales. So Sharon, welcome to the show. Take a minute. Tell us a little bit about you. I am the founder of Boardroom Insiders, and we specialize in providing uh, in-depth executive profiles to enterprise sales teams who are interested in engaging the C-suite at their customer companies. And um, we were founded in around 2008, and we work primarily with large uh, tech vendors like um, Cisco and HP and Microsoft, CA, CSC, etc. Mm-hmm. So what was the impetus to start the company? Um, I come from a consulting background. So I was working directly with a lot of the marketing organizations at these technology companies um, between 2004 and 2008. And I was consistently seeing a desire to sell higher within the customer organizations. And the question I kept getting asked is, how do we get to the CIO and what do they want to talk about? Who are these people? What do they care about? How can we reach and engage them? And so around, I guess it was around 2006, I was working with a man named Scott McNeely, who mm-hmm. was then CEO of Sun Microsystems. Yep, founder and of I the company, his, co-founder of the company, yeah. Yes, and I was working with his executive team And they said that he had an initiative to call into 
200 of what they called their must-win accounts. And these accounts they wanted to move the needle with in some way. And he had made a personal commitment to call into the CIOs of all of those accounts. But he really wanted to know a lot about those people before he made the calls. So I was hired to create some dossiers on these people. And I thought, well, this is the easiest job I'm ever going to have. All I have to do is go to their websites and find their bio and cut and paste the bio in. And that's not at all what he wanted. He wanted uh, way beyond the bio info. He wanted us to dig into you know, their personal backgrounds, such as hobbies and interests and who they might have been connected to, who their mentors were who their friends were in the industry, if we could get that information. He also really wanted to understand what were the business initiatives driving their work. Um, And that doesn't mean, you know, from a technology standpoint, it meant what is the company's strategy? What's the CEO saying? And how does the CIO have to enable that? You know, he realized early on before anybody started talking about business and IT alignment, that that's where he needed to go. Um, and that's where CIOs needed to go. And so we started pulling together these um, dossiers, these profiles of these executives and provided those to his team so that when he made the calls, he was prepared and ready to talk to them, uh, you know, their personal interests and affinities as well as speak to their business initiatives. So we, you know, eventually had about 200 of these and I put them in a database and started realizing that a lot of my other customers would love to have this type of information. And we have built the database up over the years from there. And now our customers can subscribe to the database um, and get this in-depth information on these executives. And we keep the profiles updated and we add to the database all the time as executive changes occur. Mm -hmm. So how many executive profiles do you have in your database? We have around 12,000 now. Um, and we, you know, we continually track these people. So they go from one company to another. We preserve all of the personal information that we have on them. And then we update all the business challenges for their new company. So we've been tracking some of these people for almost 10 years. And so we have some very rich profiles. Um, our, you know, we, we really unlike a lot of other business information companies that go really, really broad uh, as far as the number of contacts and very shallow as far as the depth of information, we do exactly the opposite. So we have, you know, fewer records, far fewer records than like a contact database would. But the depth of information we provide just goes way beyond uh, anything else out there on the market. So for... um it's you know looking to for this information it's like a really in-depth linkedin beyond what you're gonna find in linkedin obviously some of the superficial stuff will be in linkedin some of the connections but not the business challenges not the well not the business challenges i guess is really the big one that you lay out yeah i mean linkedin is great and we use linkedin as a source and um you know we recommend our customers of course use linkedin um what we always say is LinkedIn and some of the other contact databases, they tell you who to talk to, and we tell you what they want to talk about. So, um, you know, in the, the sales world, people often don't consider that. They think, well, how do I get to this person? How do I get to them? What's their email? What, how do I reach them? 
But when you're talking about the C-suite or even, you know, one or two levels down, the executive level, SVP, VP, you better have that conversation planned out before you get in touch. So, you know, you, you're eventually going to find a way to reach them, but what are you going to say? And that's really critical because if you don't grab them in just a couple of minutes with something that's relevant and establish your own credibility as a trusted advisor and someone who understands their business, you're probably not going to get a second chance. Oh, sure. Exactly. So let's sort of dig into this topic because here you have, you have this database that, that uh, is for people that I suspect they primarily want to make sure that they can sell into the C-suite. And yet there, if you read The Challenger Customer and you know other books that come out about modern buying, especially in the complex enterprise B2B sale, that it's really not about selling to the C-suite, that it's about these growing number of individual and diverse stakeholders that... Um, you know, come together to reach some sort of consensus over a solution that they then present to the C-suite for approval. Correct. Yes. It's not an either or. It's an and. Um, selling, especially into the enterprise, has become so complicated because there are so many more decision makers that you have to influence. Um, and often they don't re- reach a consensus. Uh, we've seen research come out of IDC that shows the ever-growing number of decision makers involved in these larger deals often results in no decision. Um, and that's sometimes the biggest threat, bigger than the competition. And we certainly have experienced that as we sell into this, to the enterprise and our customers, we hear that from our customers all the time. Sure. It causes the, you know, the sales cycle to ever lengthen. We even see it in earnings calls. You know, the 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 C-suite will talk on the earnings calls about the lengthening of the cycle um, and delayed decisions. You see that all the time. So it's it's a common problem, and I think it because it's because sales has become more complex, more decision makers involved. Um, maybe people who are quite risk averse with all of the different technologies coming out, and you know the desire to pick the winner instead of the loser it's um it's it's very complicated and what we also see is uh when it comes to technology or even what we're selling there's a desire to integrate it with other things so for example you know with what we sell being so simple hey it's a a database of executive profiles um it's really simple that's all we do but when we talk to customers, there's often a desire to, you know, for example, integrate all of our content into some kind of dashboard in Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that complicates things. And it becomes more about, about more than, you know, how good our product is and more about how can it fit with all of these other things. So I think vendors of all stripes are seeing that dynamic go on. And the C, where the C-suite comes in is they can help influence the sale. They can help, um, you know, endorse the sale and make the people lower down on the chain feel that, you know, more comfortable making the decision. Um, and according to some research that came out in November from IDC, they're saying 
CXOs are going to be more central than ever to the critical buying decisions because digital transformation efforts are no longer kind of side projects or pilots or special business units or initiatives. They are now central to the business. The entire business is digitizing. Mm -hmm. It's not side project that a little tiger team owns, right? So because of that, CEOs are going to have uh, more technology leadership experience, um, and they are going to be more central to the process. And uh, Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff knows this and has talked in their earnings calls about how they're closing nine-figure deals because they are selling directly to the CEO. They are now viewing the CEO as the de facto chief transformation officer or chief digital officer. And they are winning these deals by selling directly into the C-suite. And what that takes, by the way, on uh, Salesforce's part is they need the commitment of their own C-suite to go in and have those conversations because you can't send, you know, a rank and file salesperson in to meet with a CEO. I mean, you could, but it's much more powerful if that salesperson has the support of their own C-suite going in with them as partners to make that big deal happen. Okay, I mean, all very, all very interesting. I'm thinking as you're you're talking about, yeah, if if we say okay, this this is true, this trend that IDC is talking about is what they foresee is going to happen, and actually does happen, where where the C-suite suddenly starts reinserting itself back into the decision making process, where just a year ago it was the other way. Um, well, again, it's it's an it's an and it's not well, an it's an or. and, but. But you know, yeah, but, in, C, but CEB's research was was fairly conclusive. That's not yeah. I'm sure people are still continuing to sell to the C-suite. But yeah, you know, give you personal examples I've seen selling to large enterprises where where one of the fundamental fundamental mistakes a seller made was actually getting to the C-suite because the C-suite was saying, "Well, look, you know, we delegated this, and we're looking to get a conclusion." So. But if you're here and you're asking my opinion, I'm going to give it. And yeah, it wasn't what that company wanted to hear at all, right? Because suddenly, whereas the the C-suite would have been, and CEO in this case, would have been perfectly content to have gotten the recommendation once they actually involved him. Naturally, he, he had opinions. He was informed. Um, and uh, it didn't turn out well for that company. So, I mean, well, it, it's, it's not going to be the same in every situation. Sure. Sure. And uh, I can't emphasize enough that it's an and, it's not an or. You just don't go straight into the C-suite marching in there without engaging, um, you know, all of the other layers of oh, decision sure. makers. Um, that's what inbound marketing does a great job of and marketing automation and being able to segment your audience and speak to them by vertical. Um, that's what makes it so tough is you have to be working all of these different levels. Well, by the same token, you know, there's also research that's come out from, I have to go back and look at my notes to see who it came from, that also sort of talks about a sort of a, an opposite trend, which is that where before CIOs were sort of in that central space for a lot of digital transformation, now increasingly those decisions are being made at the business unit level. Exactly, yes. That's a very common thing um, that we see. And, you know, we would include those business unit heads in the C-suite category. Absolutely. Um, whether it's, you know, a CMO or whether it's the head of an actual line of business. Like if you look at financial services, the head of consumer banking, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so 
you know, I think what we've seen is the the perception of what C-suite is has really expanded and their proliferation of all kinds of new titles like chief digital officer, chief transformation officer, chief innovation officer, chief customer experience officer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We classify all of those as C-suite at this point. And um, they have to collaborate together uh, and really, in a lot of cases, agree on what those central tools are going to be that they're going to use. And I think it's really all about um, the customer experience and the overall digitization of the enterprise, um, whether you're talking about what the customer experience is, which is outward facing, or whether you're talking about looking inward into the enterprise, what are the employees, what's the employee experience like? Because um, you know, everything's becoming consumerized. Everybody has expectations around what a great digital experience is because we're all consumers and we're on Amazon and we're on Facebook. And, you know, those are that's the level of expectation now. Hmm. Um, no, it's all very interesting. So, so map out then, you know, if you're going to, we combine the and scenario. So in your mind, map out or what's the... What's the process? What's the path? You know, for a complex enterprise sales these days. Let's say they prototypical based on CEB numbers, which they've updated. I think are six point eight no, decision makers, or even more, maybe seven point two. Um, so take us to it to the extent you can. Is what that looks like. Well, I mean, I'm certainly not an expert on all aspects of it, but I, I know what uh, you know what we're hearing from our customers and what we do ourselves. I mean, inbound marketing. Um, Using marketing automation tools is an, an absolute must uh, to reach and nurture decision makers at ev- every level of or- the organization. Create awareness, establish your 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 brand presence, um, position yourself as a thought leader through content marketing. Um, it's a great way to be relevant from a vertical perspective. You know, if you can create all types of content for different audiences that that's relevant to them um, and really fill your pipeline and en- engage all of those decision makers up and down the executive or the chain. Now the executives um, require a little bit of a different approach in terms of the types of content that they're interested in. Um, and the farther you go up the executive chain, it becomes more a, a one-to-one value proposition that you have to make. Um, because they expect you to understand their specific business. Um, what we see a lot of companies doing is uh, not taking this approach um, across all of their accounts, but reserving the executive engagement piece of it for only their most important accounts. So um, we see a lot of customers have small, smaller teams within the sales organization that focus only on their top accounts. And that's where the real focus on C-suite selling and executive engagement comes in. They devote more resources to those accounts. They um, create high-touch engagement opportunities such as C-level roundtables or sponsoring C-level events such as the Avanta CIO series. Um, They target C-suite executives with, with small regional events. Um, and then, you know, sending their own executives to those events to have those higher level conversations. And that's where the C-suite engagement really comes in. So, you know, when we when we talk to companies that, you know, we're interested in, in bringing on as customers, 
we, we try to understand, do you have something like this in place? Because unless you have that infrastructure in place for C-suite selling, we're not really going to be helpful because it's not a methodology that you apply to all accounts. It's not scalable. So, um, well, what you're really talking about is the account-based marketing, account-based everything model that that's now taking hold, and and it's just as you described. I mean, it's it's targeted, very targeted in terms of both the content and the execution on a specific number of accounts, and yeah, it's not scalable throughout your entire customer base. Right. So you know, account-based marketing. Has really taken off just because of the ability to use technology to automate a lot of it and segment in a way that is scalable, um, which is great. But in those situations where you're trying to cultivate, you know, long-term relationships, executive to executive, mm-hmm. you're not going to be doing that with you know, automated software or even over email, it's, it's all about the relationships. Oh yeah. No. And I, and I think, I think people that so are, so that's, you know, when, when we talk about C-suite selling, I just want to make it clear. We're not, it's not for everybody. It's not appropriate in every situation as, as you pointed out with your example, it's usually the result of a very rigorous, um, selection of, mm-hmm a group of accounts that they're going to target and it's reserved for those situations. So, you know, I, I haven't spoken to Mark Benioff personally, but I bet if you were to ask him based on what he said in in his earnings call, he's not going out and meeting with every single customer. You know, they probably have a a short list of, I don't know, 200 accounts or something like that. And, And that's what we typically see with our customer base. Um, they'll say we're targeting, the chief digital officers and chief uh, information officers, and you know, they'll have a list of five C-suite titles that they're targeting within these fill in the number two hundred, mm-hmm. three hundred, one hundred accounts. So it's almost a programmatic approach, um, and they, you know, will have a variety of touch points that they have in mind, whether it's an executive briefing at their executive briefing center whether it's a specific event that they're putting together um, or a specific initiative when they're trying to, you know, go to um, a high level industry trade show and set up a special experience for those executives at that show. Yeah. My point about the, the tool, especially the tools that are coming out to support and they'll make it more broad than account-based marketing. I mean, account-based everything to use the, the term that Engageo uses is that yeah? Part of what you can use those tools for is to develop playbooks and plays within those playbooks that do exactly mm-hmm. as you talk about. You know that right. that puts set up a play that says, "Look, we're going to need to have our CEO invite the CEO to come to to come to uh, you know an event that we're hosting." But the way that gets facilitated and part of the play, you know, defines what the account exec needs to do, and then, you know, interfacing with the CEO's uh, assistant and so on and so forth to make the whole thing happen. And you do that enough times, then you can define that very well, and then it becomes, I said, one of the plays that you implement as part of your playbook. Yeah, but it's it, here's here's where a lot of companies fall down on that is um, they follow the playbook and then. A generic invitation gets issued to 
however many, you know, CIOs, CEOs, chief digital officers, whatever. And, and I know this because I worked in the event industry for a long time as well as a consultant. The RSVPs and the attritions are abysmal. Mm-hmm. So they, they, and then it becomes a last minute scramble to get butts in seats, as they say. And the reason for that, I believe, and I've seen in the industry, is because a generic invitation does not work with that audience. It takes um, a personalized invitation, mm-hmm. a call from their executive mm-hmm. peer. Um, and everybody wants to make this happen with boil, you know, boilerplate templates and um, as minimal effort uh, and no personal outreach. They don't want to bother their executive to make those calls or, or to, you know, sign the letter. Um, and what we've seen is when that, when you go that extra mile to make that invitation personally relevant to the recipient and you're thoughtful enough to have their peer reach out, even by, you know, even if it's a personal email from them or a call, the response rate goes way up and then you don't have that, you know, because when you when you're not able to pull the quality of audience that you want, the the quality overall quickly goes down because for for these executives, it's all about who else is going to be there, and they don't want to go if it's going to be, you know, a bunch of director level people. So it's it's a tricky thing, and it really makes a difference when you make that invitation personally relevant. So what does that look like? Well, if you know. Um, if you're if you're staging a C level event about models of innovation, um, you know how are enterprises innovating? It's hard because they're not as nimble as as a startup. Um, so you know some companies are forging um, partnerships with universities. Some are opening up Silicon Valley labs. Some are using open innovation or having hackathon contests and things of that nature. So um, we had a customer who was doing an event around, you know, models of innovation and they wanted the C-suite there and they were panicking because they were not getting the quality of audience, the RSVPs. So contrast that with the ability to contact a CIO in the insurance industry with that same invitation, but append a note that says, you have invented the usage-based pricing. You, you know, you, you, you're pioneering this in your industry, um, you know, where they put sensors on the cars and they can know mm-hmm. what you're doing so you get a, a discount. So imagine being able to say, you know, you've done this within your industry um, and it's spreading throughout the whole industry, not just your company. We would love to have you come and talk to your peers about how you created this innovation within your organization. So contrast that with just getting a generic invitation that says, come to our innovation event. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I agree 100%. I mean, I, I, I would argue that companies that do as you say with the generic invitation, then yeah, they're not achieving near the level of success in general that they, <laughs> they want to be achieving. I mean, it is all about the person to person. The point I was making about the the plays is the plays you'll see in in leading edge companies that are doing this with enterprise sales. The plays set up 
the person-to-person interaction because yeah, Mark Benioff just doesn't pick up the phone and call somebody cold. Exactly. No. So and, that, and that, that all has to be that all has to be staged to make sure that's effective. And so that's what the place. It's not an do. either or. It's an right. and. That's right. exactly right. So both have to have to happen. And you're right. I mean, there's there's you know a definite trend of sales organizations that are, are using technology, thinking that it supplants personal contact. And you know, I for a company that you know put out a blog post of predictions for 2017, mine was we're going to see the return of the importance of the human touch in selling. You know, people have gone too far one direction, thinking automation and all the transparency it provides into the the metrics and the KPIs and selling supplant the personal contact in terms of you know predicting what a customer is going to do. I just don't believe. So. I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. And it, you know, we all want a silver bullet. I do. But every time I think I have one, I realize it's not a silver bullet. There's no silver bullets out there. Um, and you can't automate everything. Um, and the, the problem with this relationship part is it's hard. It's hard. It can be awkward. Um, you have to do your homework on the person, which is hard and time consuming. Um, everybody wants to be spoon fed. You know, when I say everybody, it's like, you know, the, the sales organization, the, um, you know, the executives, because it's, it's all about your time. Um, a lot of the companies that use our tool, you know, the, the people who buy it often are the, is the field marketing organization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we don't necessarily have salespeople going in and downloading a profile before a meeting. We have field marketers who are using the tool to really research specific accounts and pull out little nuggets that allow them to connect the dots between the executives and what they're selling and then spoon feed that to the sales team. Or to you know an executive who's going into a meeting, spoon mm-hmm. feed these nuggets of information, um, and I th- I think you know we hear that term a lot. The spoon feeding customers spoon feeding, um, just because everybody's so overwhelmed with information and is trying to find those little nuggets of gold that are super relevant on both sides of the sales equation. So why wouldn't the field marketing organization just let sales have access to that data? That's a great question. And we ask ourselves that all the time. Um, And why do they have to mediate that? Well, what we hear a lot of the time is on the sales side, there may not be any budget for it. But, you know, you don't you don't really know if that's true when you're in the sales process. It could just be, uh, you know, a reason to pass us off to sales enablement or field marketing. It, it's just kind of the way that the organizations operate and are set up is what my observation is, because it's pretty, at least in the tech field. You know, we, we really work with a lot of companies in the tech field. We have other types of customers, too, but um, tech is the majority of it. And so that's that's how we see time and time again, how these organizations are set up. Now, sales often finds us and directs us to the group with a budget. Um, and I think that's because sales people have that painful experience of having a meeting coming up 
um, the following week. And here they sit on a Sunday night, desperately searching for information on a company or a person. And that's when they find us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're often, you know, sales is often the channel for us into the organization. It's how they hear about us, but who typically buys is, you know, the marketing organization. I was gonna say, my question was just reacting to your, your comment about spoon feeding as if, yeah, marketing can buy it. It's just, why doesn't marketing give sales free access to it? You know, and let, let the salespeople marketing's budget can pay for it. But was, yeah, you know, that's a very good, that's a very good question. <laughs> I mean, it's like, don't, if I was in sales, I said, don't spoon feed me. I want to go look at it. I mean, you, I can't trust as a salesperson that's dealing with the customers. I wouldn't necessarily hand the trust off to someone else to, to curate what they thought I needed to know in that situation. So not a big well, deal. That's, just, that's my view as well, Yeah, but that's just the reality of what we're dealing with. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, it's, you know, that there's, there's a desire to add value there and marketing, um, to really own it and control it. I, I, yeah, I ask the same question all the time. Okay, <laughs> good. We're in alignment on that. So, all right. So Sharon, we're in the last segment of the show. I've got some standard questions. I ask all my guests. And um, the first one is a hypothetical scenario. And I've had, gosh, 400 plus people answer this question so far. And in this hypothetical scenario, you, Sharon, have just been hired as VP of sales at a company of sales have stalled out. You know, they've sort of flatlined a little bit and CEO is anxious to get growth restarted. So what two things could you do your first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? Oh, boy. Um, that's a great question. I think that, first of all, I would talk to the salespeople. Mm-hmm. And then I would talk to some customers or some potential customers. And I think I would really want to dig into... Um, analytics about the inbound marketing mm-hmm. funnel mm-hmm. and see what's going on there. Um, okay. That works. Anything else? No, I think okay. that's it. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, that's that's a good first answer. So, um, some rapid-fire questions then for you. You can give me one-word answers or elaborate if you wish. So, when you, Sharon, are out selling your company's services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Just getting the customer, you mean personally? or, yes, or you personally. Me personally. Um, I would say my passion. I'm, I'm not a salesperson, just to be clear about that. I'm the founder of the company. Um, I know enough to know that I shouldn't be the one out there selling, and I don't go out selling, but I'm the subject matter expert on this. Um, I have great passion for the product and the whole kind of methodology that we talk about. I'm... Mm-hmm. I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of a nerd, you know. I'm I'm into uh, really understanding the company strategies and how we can help support it. Um, so I can speak with great passion about connecting business strategy to what you're selling and making it really about the person you're talking to, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know rattling off all of the different attributes of of your product features and benefits. Okay. Um, I think the most powerful thing I've seen is when I go out on sales calls with, with our team is just getting our product in front of the person, um, actually having them see a profile. And that's the most powerful thing that I've seen happen. Uh, because there's a lot of jaded 
buyers out there, especially when it comes to information services. You know, if you say you sell executive profiles, they expect a name and a title and maybe some contact information. Mm. And 40% of the time, it's going to be inaccurate and out of date. Right. Um, so if we can get our actual end product in front of someone what I've seen happen in a meeting is they go from kind of glancing at their phone and texting and you put our product on the screen, they put their phone down and they look at it and say, wow, okay, well, where'd you get all this information? So, um, you know, it's, I'm sure a, a lot different than other sales situations. We're not about, you know, technological bells and whistles necessarily. It's sure. just getting someone to look at it. Okay. So what, what's one book you'd recommend every salesperson read? Um, I think uh, Mark Benioff's very first book, the name of which escapes me at the moment. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> we'll, we'll, put, we'll put it on the show notes. Okay. Yeah, I, I think, you know, he talks about the early days of founding the company and, um, you know, going out and talking to customers and, uh, he talks a lot about C-suite selling and his belief in it. And it's a book that I read pretty early on in the founding of this company. And it, it was very inspiring to me. Okay. So last question then. What music is on your playlist? <laughs> well, um, I am a Zumba instructor. Uh -huh. I do this as a volunteer for the city of San Francisco. It's mm. the largest free Zumba program in the entire country. It's run through San Francisco Rec and Park. And so I have so much... Um, samba? Uh, some samba, reggaeton, salsa, merengue. Um, I have so much of that on my playlists that you wouldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> so kind of drives my family crazy. But I also like to listen to, when I'm working, I listen to opera and classical music uh -huh. because I don't get too distracted by the lyrics. Right. Um, because I'm also a singer, so I listen very carefully to lyrics and, and music. So, uh, Are you an, an opera singer? No, no, no. A, a pop, I would sing pop and rock. And um, if I listen to that, I get too distracted and I want to sure. start singing. So... Um, I listen to all kinds of music. I love music, but the majority of it is packed with my Zumba songs <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good you can listen to opera to get that out of your head. So, well, good. Well, Sharon, thanks for being on the show. Tell folks how they can find out more about, uh, about you and get in contact with you. Um, well, you can come to our website at boardroominsiders.com. That's Boardroom Insiders with an S. Um, I am on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, Sharon Gillenwater. Um, there aren't too many of us, so I'm probably pretty easy to find there. Yeah, I would expect not a, not a lot of duplicate names on Sharon Gillenwater. So good. Well, thanks again for being on the show. And uh, friends, thank you for spending this time with us. As always, remember, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is make sure you join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Sharon Gillenwater who shared expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.
Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales, we're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.